0: Okay, guys, uh, well, you know where we're going. We're going to 1 Timothy. We're going to look, Lord willing, at the whole book. So let me uh, do a couple of things here as you're turning to 1 Timothy. Okay, so what's going on? We, We come to 1 Timothy. Paul has been under house arrest while he's in house arrest. He is writing prolifically. He's able to see people. He writes the books of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and Philippians. And uh, he he, uh, is engaging in ministry even though he can't just have all his freedoms that he usually has. Well, around 65 A.D., he's released from that house arrest. And uh, he immediately goes back to engaging in his missionary endeavors, traveling. And it's probably about that time, on the occasion of his release, that he hears the report from Ephesus. Uh, Remember, he had left his young disciple, uh, the young pastor whose name was Timothy. Uh, This was a guy, Timothy was from a town named Lystra. And Paul had met him probably on his first missionary journey. Uh, he came to faith. Paul mentored him and became sort of his spiritual father. So fast forward years from now, Paul gets out of the house arrest. He hears that Timothy's role as the pastor, the elder pastor of the church at Ephesus, that he's having difficulty, that there are false teachers, maybe even some of his own elders that are corrupting the church and just uh, some other challenges there. So he picks up his pen, uh, fresh out of that house arrest, and he writes to his young friend Timothy the letter that we know as 1 Timothy. And uh, as we've come to find it um, in our study, we've called it Instructions for a Healthy Church, because what he's doing is he's writing, how do you address these challenges that Paul was facing in his church there at the town of Ephesus. And so for our purposes, what what we've tried to do over the last several weeks is just to ask the question, how can we be a healthy church? How can we maintain spiritual health? And so as we come to our final lesson here, that's really the question we want to ask, is how can we develop and maintain spiritual health in our local church? And uh, if you have the, um, the printout, if you have the outline from the back there on the back uh, chair, if you didn't get one of those, that printout, we're going to review the book of 1 Timothy in its entirety, and we're going to look at nine admonitions, nine keys to maintain or to develop and to maintain spiritual health. And uh, this is a great letter. I hope it's become one of your favorites uh, there are a lot of really good reminders here. Uh, we believe God has blessed us with a, a long-standing season of spiritual health in our church. And yet, as Pastor Terry is going to focus on in his sermon this morning, our, our theme for this year is Excel Still More, meaning we want to continue to grow in health. We want to grow in our uh, effectiveness with the gospel. We want to grow in our ability to love and care for one another. And uh, so First Timothy is a great book to launch us into the new year to think about uh, some ways that we can do that. Okay, my name's Keith. I'm going to be your tour guide this morning as we do the now, is it famous? How many times do you have to do it before it's famous? The the jet tour message of the book of 1 Timothy. That was not my idea. I stole that fair and square from John MacArthur. Okay, so he did the jet tour of Revelation back in the 80s. The, Re- the, the book of Revelation in one message. That's pretty impressive. Go to go to Grace to you and listen to it if you've never heard that message. It's not quite an hour. It's like a, you know, it's John Macarthur. It's like an hour and twenty minutes or something like that. But anyway, he's John Macarthur. He can get away with that. Okay, First Timothy chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of our God, of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith." But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. If we are going to develop and maintain spiritual health at Grace Bible Church, we must get our focus right. And it really serves as the theme of the letter is chapter 1, verse uh, 5, right? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So that's number one on your outline. Strive for sound doctrine that promotes love. Strive for sound doctrine that promotes love. We are by God's grace a doctrinally sound church. Uh, if you're new to Grace Bible Church, I hope you have found this to be true that we take doctrine really seriously. If you've been here a long time, you would say that with me, right? We take doctrine really seriously. Um, Why is that? Because right doctrine, accurately applied, leads to loving well. And loving well is the goal. Okay? Got that? So sound doctrine that promotes love. Now, what were these false teachers doing that Paul would come back and say this. Just look at the little text there that I read, the little paragraph. What were the false teachers doing that was undermining this goal of sound doctrine that promotes love? That was your cue. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you know that um, when we put too much of our time on speculations, okay, I'm going to say this, okay? Speculations don't make you love God better. Speculations don't make you love your neighbor better. And that's what they were doing, right? That, that, and, and can I just say that, because probably most of you have not had the privilege of going to Bible college or seminary. There's a lot of theology that merely amounts to speculation. There really is. And, and, and again, n- not that that can't be, you know, a time for that, but if that's what you're putting your focus on, it distracts you from the goal of loving God and loving neighbor by centering ourselves on, on sound doctrine, biblical doctrine. Not what might be, not what could be, not, not some speculation, but what actually the Bible teaches. Yeah, just look back at the text. It says, he says, I want you to instruct these men not to teach, look at this, strange doctrines, (laughs) those would be doctrines out of alignment with Scripture, nor to pay attention to myths, things that aren't true, endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So that, that's a, that's a, so good. What are we focusing on? And and is it is it encouraging us to continue the administration of God, which is by faith? Is it promoting love for God and love for neighbor? That that's going to be our litmus test for 2022. Does it promote love for God and love for neighbor? And if it doesn't, we probably don't need to be spending a whole lot of time on it. Because the goal is not, this is, I'm going to say this, this is a Bible church, right? I'm going to say this and, and, and you throw rocks if you think I'm wrong, okay? And I'll duck. Um, the, the goal of our church is not sound doctrine as an end in itself. It's not like, you know, we get an A on the theology exam. It's okay, God's happy with us. I mean, yes, we ought to believe the right things. But, but the goal of sound doctrine is it promotes biblical love. We, we don't know how to love well without sound doctrine. We're not, our love isn't informed. Our, our love isn't on a solid foundation if it's misguided because of wrong doctrine. So, so just because we pass the theology test doesn't mean we're honoring God. We want to pass the theology test, yes. We want to get our doctrine right because it promotes godly living and godly loving. And that's really the goal. So when when we're dealing with false teachers, again, it's not just a matter of their doctrine. It's because that wrong doctrine corrupts our lives and gets us distracted in terms of how we're living both with God and with one another. So we want to strive for sound doctrine that promotes love. And that means we have to deal with false teaching that distracts from and undermines that love. By the way, look at the end of the, of the paragraph there in verse 7. They want to be teachers even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they are making confident assertions. There's nothing worse than somebody that is confident and wrong. Right? And one of the things we're going to see as we work through this text is why humility is so important. Because the reality is all of us are going to be guilty at times of getting it wrong. Right? None of us is a perfect theologian. None of us is a perfect Christian. And humility helps us to be a bit tentative and to be open to... and open to correction, and open to instruction, open to learning, so that we don't get into the mode... These false teachers were hard to deal with because they didn't know what they're talking about, they were really confident about it, and they were wrong. And that makes them almost bulletproof in terms of trying to help people like that. So, So let's not do that. Let's not be like that. Let's be humble, even as we seek to have... Uh, a biblically informed confidence in the things of God. So that's number one, right? Strive for sound doctrine that promotes love. If we're going to... uh, um, uh, What is it? What's my title? Develop and maintain spiritual health. There we go. Okay, number two. Emphasize the hope of the gospel to change lives. Emphasize the hope of the gospel to change lives. Paul here is going to look next at his own spiritual biography. We want to be a place... Grace Bible Church, Granbury, Texas, 2022. We want to be a place where people recognize that whatever their past, whatever their guilt, whatever their commitments, whatever burdens they bear, whatever hurts they possess, whatever shame they feel... That the gospel of Jesus Christ is fully sufficient to transform them and change them for his glory. We want people to say, that's the message that we get at Grace Bible Church. You say, well, how are we going to do that? Well, the first way we're going to do that is we're going to live that ourselves. We're going to live as those people who have been transformed and are being transformed from our past, from our guilt, from our shame, from things done to us, from things that we've committed against others. We want to model the sort of hope in Christ that the world needs. And then we share that hope with other people. Listen to how Paul does this. He's going to use his own example, and I think that's exemplary for us. I think that's a good example for us to follow. Chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I act ignorantly in unbelief. By the way, Paul's not saying there he's not guilty. What he's saying is, I didn't know any better. I was lost. I I was ignorant. I'd never heard the gospel before. And yet God showed me mercy. Verse 14, and this is a, a wonderful verse. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And we need, guys, to live that. We need to never get past the mercy and grace that God has shown us. We need to never get past that. Uh, when you think about the things from your past, when you think about the things from your life, what God saved you from, and what God is doing in your life today, never get over that. Live that out. Live out that that awe and that wonder and that humility and that thankfulness to God that says, I was the chief of sinners and yet God showed me mercy. That'll change your life when we live like that. And then when we go into our workplace or our school or when visitors wander into our church or we're having a family gathering and they see a humble, thankful uh relying on God, humble person, who is overwhelmed by the grace of God shown them, that will be attractive to fellow sufferers and fellow sinners who need to find that same mercy and grace as well. Um, have, Have you noticed this? If we look out here, there are people looking for help in all the wrong places. Right? I mean, you see that? They're looking for it in relationships. They're looking for it in substances. They're looking for it in success and finances. They're looking for it in a new formula for parenting. They're, they're looking at in education. They're looking at it in, in a promotion. They're looking for it in, in uh, everywhere, right? And none of it solves the problem of this heart that is alienated from God. And is ridden with guilt and shame and sorrow and grief. And Paul says, you know what? I was the chief of sinners and it was sufficient. It was more than abundant to help me. And that means it can help you. So so let's, let's be a church that models a humble confidence in the transforming work of the gospel. And then shares that hope regularly with people that need it. I think that's a a great way, uh, as we go into this new year, to take our faith and to share it with others. Let's emphasize the hope of the gospel to change lives. That's number two. Number three. Got to keep going here. Be a church who prays, especially for believers. Look at this. Chapter two. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. A healthy church is a byproduct of a church that prays. So as, as you're acquiring a Bible reading plan, make sure you're coupling your habit of Bible reading with regular prayer. Uh, a church that prays is growing in spiritual health. Uh, there are no spiritual shortcuts, right? Do we, do we know that? There are no spiritual shortcuts. There's no secret handshake. There, there's no, um, you know, uh, you know, I was going to say 800 number you can call. That's so 1985, right? That there's, there's no special product you can acquire online. There's, right? There's, there's not a book that you're going to, oh, I found this book and it's going to launch me into super Christendom, right? That, that, that's not it. The, what, what, what creates and maintains spiritual health, listen to me, is the regularity of the ordinary spiritual disciplines and it's not complicated. It's you spend time with God every day. It's I read his word, that's how God talks to me. I respond in prayer. That's how we talk to God. And that's the cycle of communion with God. And you know what that means? That means we have to set aside time each day to be alone. That means we might have to get up early or stay up late. It, it means we have to turn off our phones. It means we have to turn off the TV. It means we have to pull away from from uh, our hobbies. And we need to carve out time to commune with our God. And most Christians will tell you they find prayer much more difficult than Bible reading. Myself included. And yet what we see here is, what does he say? First of all then, first of all, here's the first thing you do, Timothy. I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. And notice what he says. Who are we supposed to be praying for? President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, our senators, our representatives, our governor, our state and local officials, uh, the, the people that I think Christians are tempted or actually do make fun of, when we should be praying for them. You say, why is that? Look what he says. Because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I'm going to say this to my own guilt and shame, okay? But maybe it applies to you too. It's really hard to be making fun of somebody that I consider an enemy if I'm spending every day praying for them. And it's going to be really hard for me to have a heart that that person comes to know Christ if I feed my mind with media that mocks what they're doing. Now, I'm, I'm not saying there's everything going on in politics that's right. And there are things we definitely need to stand up for and say that's wrong, that's against the moral will of God. And yes, there's a time for that, absolutely. What I'm saying is, is our heart one of prayer and a desire for salvation? For people that we would deem our enemies? Or is our heart one of mockery and joking? And you say, okay, Pastor Keith, I'm convicted. What do I do? Step one, start praying for that person. We need to be praying, especially for our leaders. We pray for our nation. Pray for our neighbors. Pray for our family. There's no spiritual shortcuts to spiritual health. It starts with... What, what would our church be like if we just had a revolution of prayer this year? Personal prayer, corporate prayer, family prayer, praying with your kids, praying with your home group. I, I get a smile on my face when I think about that. And I hope you do too. So let's be a church that prays especially for, believer, for our leaders. Number four, train yourself and others in godliness. Train yourself and others in godliness. This is one of the themes. You see this throughout the whole letter. He says it in chapter 2. He comes back to it in chapter 4. Let's just look at a part of this. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Therefore I want the men in every place, look at this, to pray. Brothers, we must take The lead in prayer. We must take the lead in prayer. Lifting up holy hands, you know what that means? That's not like, hey, I'm worshiping Jesus like this. Lifting up holy hands means I'm engaging with other people in holy and righteous ways. Lifting up hands is a metaphor for I'm, I'm working with other people without wrath and dissension. Verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for a woman making a claim to godliness. Sisters, ladies, don't put all your emphasis on the outside. Put it on the inside. And Paul's not not saying be frumpy for Jesus. He's not saying walk around in a paper sack. What he's saying is don't make that your life. Men, take the lead in praying and acting in godly ways. Ladies, spend most of your time focusing on the inner person of the heart and and growth in godliness. And let's let all these other things from sports and fashion take a a back seat to those things. And he comes back to it in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. He says, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. And remember, ladies, ladies, that's not a put down to you. It's saying, you know, it's old wives tales. It's a euphemism just like we have in English. On the other hand, here it is. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of... Of godliness. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. If you go to the YMCA, great, that's of little profit, but you know what? Godliness is way better. Because you can't take your physical health to heaven with you, but your growth and maturity in Christ is something that will last eternally. Godliness is Profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and all for the life to come. Verse nine, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is this that we labor and strive. We listen to that. You, you go to the gym, that's what you do, right? You labor and strive, pumping iron or doing your your class or swimming or, or you know hitting the weights and running the track whatever you, you you labor and strive and paul says you know what is a trustworthy statement when you labor and strive endeavoring to be more like christ that's what'll make for a healthy church if we all walk around like hans and franz you know that's awesome but what we want to walk around at grace bible church is being men and women that reflect the person and character of the lord jesus and that is far, far greater in terms of importance. So let's ask ourselves a question: What's our plan to grow in Christ likeness this next year? Like, I'm going to hit the Y three times a week. Awesome. How are you going to become more like Christ? What's your, what's your spiritual physical health? What's your spiritual health plan? What's your spiritual gymnasium plan? Let's train ourselves and others in godliness. I say, I say others there. Paul focuses on it himself. He says, Timothy, you need to do this yourself. Then you need to train other people. So, so parents, moms and dads, uh, we've got little kids, big kids, teenagers, what are we doing to train them in godliness? Iwana leaders, nursery workers, home group leaders, what are we doing to help others to grow in godliness? Now let's Let's strive to be more like Christ and, and let's Let's arrange our schedules this next year to promote spiritual health, uh, even as we might think of physical health as well. Number this is this five. Establish and maintain biblical roles in the local church. Establish and maintain biblical roles in the local church. We see this, right? Uh, at the end of chapter two, he talks about roles for men and women. He gets into chapter three. He talks about the roles of the pastor-elder. And then he gets uh, to verse 8 of chapter 3. He talks about the roles of deacons. Those would be men who serve in a formal capacity in the church. He talks in verse 11 there about women. Uh, those are probably uh, more mature women that assist deacons in some of the duties of the church. And uh, and on and on. So the point is we, we must uh, establish and maintain biblical roles in the church. What What happened in this church that its spiritual health started going south. What happened in regard to roles? Do you remember? Do we have to start the book of 1 Timothy over? Come on, make me proud here. What was going on? Why did he pick up his pen and write to to Timothy? False teachers, right? Okay? Some of those false teachers were probably elder pastors of the church. Which means what? Why do you think he, why do you think Paul gives a whole chapter on leadership? Because something went wrong. This isn't difficult, right? Something went wrong. And so he says, hey, let's go back. Who are you putting in leadership? What, remember, remember, you remember the qualifications? Do they desire the office? Number one. Are they qualified in their character? Number two. Do they have the skill set and giftedness to do it? Number three. And then don't lay hands on them prematurely until you've watched their life. Uh, I, I had a, I had a, a young man um, had lunch with him this last week and he's thinking about going into ministry. He says, Pastor Keith, what, what, what's, a, what's a call to pastoral ministry? How do you know if a pastor is being called, an elder is being called? You know, is it is it a light from heaven? You know, is it like music? Is it some you know vision or dream? No, no, no. It's 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 much more ordinary than that, and much more biblical. First Timothy chapter three verse one: If a man desires the office, he has to have the desire for it. Number two, he's qualified in his character. That's the rest of chapter three. Number three, he has to be gifted and have the skill set for it. Chapter 3 talks about that. He has to be able to teach. He has to be able to manage. Uh, Ephesians talks about his gift of pastoring and whatnot. Okay, so he has to desire the office. He has to be qualified in his character. He has to have the skills and gifts. And then what's the last thing? He has to have the formal ordination, the formal affirmation of the existing elders. He said, don't lay hands on someone too quickly. What's he saying? Watch his life, pay attention, and then lay your hands on him. Then ordain them for the ministry. We're going to do that this morning, actually. You're going to see that in the worship hour. Greg Warren is coming back to the elder board, and we're going to do that. Exactly what Paul talked about here in the the laying on of hands or the ordination of a pastor-elder for ministry. That's the pastor's call. And so we need to be very careful about that. And you say, well, uh, what, what's my job in that? Your job is to pray. Your job is to pray for the elder pastors here. Uh, as we bring a guy like Greg or whoever on board, pray for faithfulness, pray, pray for God's grace in his life. And, uh, and pray for more qualified men who will lead us. As we grow, uh, six elders can't manage all of this. We need more men. But we don't want to just, oh, here, here this guy looks good. We we want to be methodical. We want to be slow. We want to be intentional. We want to be prayerful. Because what happened in 1 Timothy at Ephesus could happen in our church if we're not careful. So establish and maintain biblical roles in local church. Next one, take personal responsibility for your walk with God. Take personal responsibility for your walk with God. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Prescribe and teach these things. Now, I I, I want to talk specifically here again to the young men and women, our young theologians here, right? You guys in the back row there that are in junior high and high school, you singles, college students. Um, I think even some of you young marrieds could probably count for young people. We'll let you guys in. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity show yourself an example of those who believe you know what that means young person is you need to start taking personal responsibility for your walk with God you say I'm only 13 you know what that's old enough I'm only in high school, and I've seen what other high schoolers are like. Well, you know what? Be an enigma for Jesus in your generation. Stand out. In your generation for your faith and your gospel and your savior, let no one look down on your youth, but in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example of someone who actually believes that Christianity is true and is living like it. Show us old people what it's supposed to be like for his glory. And if you're an old person like me, we need to be doing the exact same thing. Paul focuses here on the young people, but look what he says here. He says, verse 16, or verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident. That's a great question. Am I absorbed with my Christianity? Am I absorbed with my faith? It's the thing that bolsters my life, influences each situation, directs every conversation, drives my priorities. Is it my faith? Am I absorbed in it? Is Jesus in me and I in Him? That's what it means to walk with God. And he says, never forget, verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do it, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. We need to watch over our life, that's how we live, and our teaching and our doctrine. That's what we tell other people. And we need to persevere in that, meaning not just get serious for a little while, you know, and then it kind of, you know, by February, all my resolutions are gone and my Bible reading plan's off, and I'm not really right? We need to persevere. Why? Because as we do that, we ensure salvation both for ourselves and for those who hear us. What he's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, your faithfulness in life and doctrine authenticates your Christianity. That's what he's saying. Your consistency in life and doctrine, not perfection, not perfection, but your consistency, your consistent faith and growth is what shows your faith is real, and it demonstrates to all these other people over here that need Jesus what real faith is. It's sobering words. You ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. And that means we need to start taking personal responsibility. Or maybe we are, we just need to do a little, little reset. Okay, But whatever it is, we need to take personal responsibility for our walk with God, knowing that our life depends on it, and even the life of the people that God has put in our lives for spiritual witness and spiritual care, that their lives depend on it as well. Next one, take care of widows. We we spent a whole chapter on this. Uh, we looked at this last time. Um, and we can expand that out. We need to be a church that cares well for one another, especially those in need. You say, who's that? What's the widows, right? People that have lost their spouses. We have a number of those. We have widowers. We have a, we have a handful of men that have lost their wives as well. Widows and widowers. This is single moms. This is people who have been divorced. These are people that are lonely. These are people that have lost loved ones. These are people in difficult marriages. These are people going through extremely difficult relationship situations. These are people going through challenging and potentially life-altering medical issues. These are people with special needs children and other family members that have disabilities in their family. And on and on and on, we need to be a church that cares well for everyone, especially the people that the world overlook. What a witness, what a witness that could be. That we take our God and our faith so seriously that we're looking to care for people that the average person overlooks. Why is that great? Because that's exactly how God loves, isn't it? It's God who loves the poor. God who loves the what? You say, what, what am I supposed to get, Pastor Keith? Reading all those prophets, all those prophetic books in my Bible. Talk about Israel. No, no, no. Those prophets show you the heart of God that He cares about the orphan and the widow and the grieving and so we should too, as his people. So let's take of take care of people, the widows, the overlooked among us. Visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping ourselves unstained by the world is what James says is true and undefiled religion. That's what matters. Number eight, guard your heart from money, be rich in good works. We just talked about this last week, didn't we? Be careful, be careful, be careful. Chapter 6, verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. We are all rich. Every single one of us is rich, which means every single one of us is at risk for our comforts, our stuff, our money, our prosperity, our ease, pulling us away from our faith and leading us into all sorts of destruction and ruin. And we need to take warning about that. And instead, look what he says at the end of the chapter, instead we should be We should do good. This is chapter 6, verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You know a great way? I remember one of my mentors told me this. A great way to make sure that money doesn't lodge into your heart in an inappropriate way is to give your money away. When you're willing to share or give away or otherwise utilize the things that we love the most, it keeps them from becoming inappropriately important to us, don't they? So we give. We, we, we're rich in good works, right? We're, we're rich in generosity. We're, we're rich in sharing for others in need. We, we, we give. Knowing that the care we show somebody in life is eternal. The money we have in the bank account is temporary. So why not use the things that are temporary for things that will last eternally? Last thing. Be faithful until Jesus comes. We looked at this last week. Let's look at it one more time. Well, we see this all throughout the text, but we'll just pick it up here. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life with which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things... And of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will bring about at the proper time, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells with inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Jesus is coming back. I'll say that again. Jesus is coming back. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who, who dwells in inapproachable light. No one has seen Him in His full glory. And He's coming back and He says, Be faithful. Fight the good fight of faith. He says it to Timothy in chapter 1. He says it again in chapter 6. Why? Because it's kind of important. Fight the good fight of faith. Maintain the faith. Share the gospel. Grow in godliness. Be effective in ministry. Love one another until he comes back. And that's our charge. That's our admonition. That's our witness for 2022 and until he comes back, maybe that's this next year, maybe it's not. But if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to be faithful to stay the course. And what a joy it would be if he finds our hands, our mouths, our feet, our witness hard at work for him when he comes back. So let's, let's maintain that focus and let's fight until he returns. Father, thanks for this wonderful book. It's so encouraging, so helpful, so instructive, and even inspiring that we want to be faithful. We want want to be in the process of sharing the gospel with somebody when Jesus himself descends from heaven into the clouds. So, Lord, make us faithful for these things until you come. In Christ's name, amen.